Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you because you are good and your mercies endure forever. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Father, even as we go into your word, Father, come and teach us by yourself in the name of Jesus that, Lord God, we would, we would have open hearts to receive from you today and that your word will go in and to germinate fruit in our lives in the name of Jesus. I ask for your help, Father, even as I speak, that, Lord, I will not do this with my power, but, Father, I will do this by the strength in which you've given me, for it's in Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Sunday School. We, um, it's another great day. This feels a little different. Uh, if you remember, naturally, we've had our Sunday schools in a bit more informal style. But we're still going to keep it as informal as possible. We're still going to, it's still going to be an interactive class. I still want to hear from everyone. I still want to be able to talk to everybody. So today, we're going to be looking again at the character of the saints. But we're going to be looking at the final topic under that umbrella. And that is the topic of who can guess it? Ah, wow, so quick. Okay, Sister Odera, can someone give her the mic, please, so that she answers for us? L O V E. Ah, thank you very much. Yes, indeed, it is love. We are teaching on the topic of love. Love, 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 love. It's, uh, it's a very common word, it's a word we hear all the time. I mean, you go out on the streets, you see someone will say, oh, I love you, talk your own. So it's the kind of thing that you find everywhere. Everyone says it, so everyone uses the word love. But then we must understand that it's not simply just the word. There is origin behind it, and we must understand that. Now, we've spoken about the topic of love before. It's not a new topic for any of us. But we're going to be looking at it, um, not differently, because at the end of the day, there's no different way to look at it. But we're going to be looking at it in the context of, you know, the character of the saint. How is it that we, as saints, how is it that we exhibit this love to one another? How do we show it? How do we use it? How does it manifest in our lives? So, uh, our root scripture today is going to be taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. It's what we've been using so far, and we're going to use it again. Colossians, chapter 3, from verse 12 to 14. Uh, if someone is there, let the person please read. If you're there, just let me know so that the mic will be passed to you. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Okay. Yes, please. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Hmm. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Amen. So, in some other um, translations, it reads that, you know, it reads something slightly different. So, let me ask you a question. What, what, do you, what do you understand or what do you believe is Christ's deepest um, desire concerning the church? God's, um, Christ's deepest desire concerning the church. Who can answer that for us? Okay, Sister Dara wants to answer. 
Um, I don't know if it's one answer, but okay. I believe that Christ wants his church to be one. Okay. One body unity okay. of the faith. Okay. Okay. Abiding in love. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Sister Odera's answer was spot on because we would see from the book of John chapter 17 where Jesus was praying. Um, it was his final prayer before he was taken away to be crucified. He prayed three prayers. He prayed a prayer for himself. A prayer for himself was a prayer of glorification. He prayed that he would be glorified, that God would glorify him. He prayed a second prayer. He prayed for his disciples. His prayer for his disciples is that God keeps them that they are kept from the enemy and that they are able to love one another, but that they are kept from the enemy because the enemy was going to come for them, that they won't be taken away. And his third prayer was for the church. And his prayer for that church was very, very centered on the idea that let these people be one. Let them, let them be one. That Let them be one so that they would believe that you sent me. Because that is the evidence that Christ is real. One of the evidences, or one of the evidence for the reality of Jesus Christ is the unity of believers. Because under normal circumstances, it would be impossible for a diverse group of people from different backgrounds, different thinkings, different upbringings, different values, to all be able to come together under one banner and under one army, so to speak, Serving one master. But, and what we just read now, he said that of all things, like on top of all of this, that we should put on love, which is the bond of perfect, perfectness, which is which we read here. Some places say perfection, that's in the NKJV, and a lot of places say unity. So what that tells us is that love is a bond of unity. Love is what makes that unity that Jesus wants possible. It says that is what makes it possible. So, we know that we are supposed to love. Awesome. That's a great thing. But at this point, I think we need to be able to understand love in the context of what we're talking about. Because we've been talking about character of the saints. So, love is one of those characters, right? So, I'd like us to read from the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16 to 22. Galatians 5, 16 to 22 yes. says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Amen. Amen. 
So what we would notice from there is that we're told about essentially the fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, or, this, or the, as it puts it, the works of the flesh, what comes from the flesh and what comes from the spirit. Now, the interesting thing about the fruit of the spirit is, first, there is a misconception among a lot of people that it's fruits rather than fruit. Now, the problem with that, the problem with that um, interpretation is that it gives the idea that it's a pick-and-choose situation, you know, that, oh, okay, pick the ones that you can have, and, you know, if you don't have everything, it, it happens. But that is not what is being said here. It says the fruit, meaning that it is singular. It is an all-in-one package. Now, this is the big difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They are both given by the Holy Spirit. They are both important for Christian service and for the Christian life. But they are quite different in the sense that one of them, which is the gifts of the Spirit, essentially, it falls more in the pick and choose category. While the fruit of the Spirit is one that every believer must have. Now, we have about 16 gifts of the Spirit that are listed in the Bible uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, chapter 12, and we also have in Romans chapter 5, if I'm correct, or chapter 12. Yes, Romans chapter 12. Sorry about that. So, we have those listed. And what you'll find is, generally speaking, believers would have two or more of these gifts, you know. And, but it is highly unlikely that you find someone that has every single gift, apart from our Lord Jesus, obviously. But you, it's unlikely you find anyone that has every single gift, but they're able to work diversely in different ways and all of that because they all kind of complement one another. But you see this fruit of the Spirit, it's one, and it cannot be divided. We cannot pick and choose. We can't pick to have, you know, patience. Uh, we can't say, oh, you know what, I'll have patience. I'll be a very patient individual. You know, I won't get angry. I won't be wrathful and everything. Ah, but you see, this, this meekness, mm -mm, it's, not, it's not really my character. It's not, it's not the way I am. It's not, it's not who I am. It's not who I am. It's not for me. We can't do that because it is a fruit that has to be born by everyone who has the Spirit of God in him. So, what all of this tells us is that as long as we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are expected to bear this fruit. And if we are expected to bear this fruit, it means that every topic of the character of the saints that we've talked about is something that, as believers, we should have. So we've been talking about all these things and all of that, and the reason we looked at them one by one is so that we are able to understand on a deeper level what each one entails. And... The aim of that is not so that we'll be like, well, I really enjoyed that teaching on humility, so I'm going to be really humble. But uh, that time that uh, Pastor Femi was trying to teach us about peace, I wasn't really feeling it. So you know what? I won't be a peaceful person. I won't be a peaceable person. You know, I'll just, I'll just do, you know, when they give me, I give them back. As they give me what, I give them what. That kind of thing. We can't live like that because we're supposed to imbibe every single one of them. Now, the good news is that we have the Holy Spirit to help us with this. And you see that it is love that binds all of these things together. See, the gifts of the Spirit are useless if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit. That might sound interesting. 
to some people it may sound controversial, but the reality is this, the, the gifts of the Spirit are useless without having the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is spearheaded by love. We would see what I am talking about if we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to... From verse 1 to 3. Let's read from verse 1 to 3. Yes. And it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Mm. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Amen. Now, what we will find very interesting in this um, passage of is how they talked about the gifts of the Spirit versus the fruit of the Spirit, which, is, which has love as a spearhead. You'd notice that in the first verse, if we know a little bit of our gifts of the Spirit, it talks about you know, the speaking, speaking in diverse tongues. And it's talking about that if I speak in all the diverse tongues in this life and I don't have love, then I'm just making noise. And in verse 2, it continues. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and it talks about um, knowledge and wisdom. So it's talking about if I have the word of knowledge, if I have the word of wisdom, I can see things that are happening in front. I, can, I know about things that I'm not supposed to know about that have either happened in the past or are happening presently. I have all of this knowledge. I have faith. I have special faith, which is also a gift of the Spirit. And I can move mountains. I can levitate objects. I can do all of those things. And I don't have love. Then it's useless. It's nothing. And in verse 3, it continues even down to what we call the special gifts because we have gifts of giving, we have gifts of mercy, we have gifts of counsel, we have gifts of leadership. And he's talking about so that even if I have the gift of giving, to the point whereby I can give, 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 I can give the clothes on my back to the person who is next to me, and it's not done in love, then it's nothing. Because at the end of the day, love binds all these things together. Love is the one that doesn't fail. Love is the one that doesn't end. So we've been talking about love, 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 love. What does it then mean? And for that, I'd like us to look at the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. Um, I would read. It's from verse 7 to verse 8. As far as I'm concerned, this is, this is as good a definition of love as we can say we will find. The Bible tells us, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. So, you might think to yourself, okay, so God is love. Okay, what does that mean? Because, I mean, we can't define God. So, if we can't define God, can we then define love? Is there a way for us to define love? So, we would say, generally speaking, people would say sacrificial giving or the, the ability to be able to, you know, just be very feeling towards someone. Um, but we will find, from what the Bible has shown us, that 
we can't really have a definition for love because God embodies it. And that is, that is what it is that we're being asked to put on. That's what we're being asked to put on and to live through our lives. But then how does this then manifest in the life of a believer? Because now we've learned that, you know, love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is something that we must have along with all of these other things. Because it doesn't make sense to have patience and not have love. Then what are you patiencing for? <laughs> because, I mean, what's, what's, the, what's the point if you are patient with someone who is striving against you and there's no love in your heart? Think about it. What's the point of that? What's the point of having mercy on somebody if there's no love that backs it up? If you have mercy on an individual, but there's no love backing it up, yeah, essentially, there's no, it's no different than, you know, um, someone who is wearing rags, steps on your foot, and says, ah, bro, sorry, I'm very sorry, I'm very sorry. Just be going, just be going. There's no difference. If, if you then walk, leave that encounter and say, well, I showed him mercy. No, you didn't. Because there was nothing backing it up. What's the use of anything? What's the use of being peaceful with all men? What's the use of meekness if there is no love behind this? So what's the use of, you know, me, if Sister Odera tells me something or tells me to do something and everything, I do it, I'm meek. I'm not saying that, oh, because I'm in this position, I can't now do it. But then my deference to her doesn't have any love there. If that's the case, I'm simply being a stooge. That's all. It's love that elevates any of those things to be bigger than what the world would describe them as. And that is why love is so important. But then, we would find that how is it supposed to manifest itself in a way to us. And for this, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 16 to verse 18. The Bible tells us, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second, just to talk about it. The Bible tells us here that if we are to display love, that how do we, it says how do we perceive love? So essentially, how do we see it? How do we view it? How do we understand it? And we understand it by the act of Jesus laying down his life for us on the cross. And it says that we also must lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, at face value, this is not a bad thing at all. It's, but if we stop at simply face value, we would lose the deeper meaning of it. Is it good to lay down your life for others? Sure. But there has to be something deeper. Because, and there was an illustration that I saw that I found very fascinating and very amusing too. He said, the, the person explained, said that, you see, if I was walking along the um, Third Milan Bridge and then someone just ran past me and jumped off the bridge and then fell into the water and then started to drown and then I'm like, hey, hey, hey let's get this person help. And the person is drowning and then this person is going down into the water. The person says, I'm giving my life for you. Does it mean anything? I was just standing there saying that, okay, so you just died, essentially, okay, and you say you died for me, okay, how does that help my condition, Lord? what, I don't even know you, but it's very different if I was in the water, and then someone ran, pulled me out, and in the midst of pulling me out, maybe the person did a Jack and Rose in Titanic, you know, and then 
put me up and then decide. At the very least, now we can talk about the, the logic of that particular move. Let's forget that because that makes no sense. But if we look at it from the action, what was done, what the significance of it was, then we can understand it, we can appreciate it. That, oh, this person gave their life so that I would live. And that's what Christ did. And that's what we expected to do. But more than that, because interesting, the word that is used for life here in this particular passage of scripture is slightly different. You know, we can, when we say the word life, interestingly, life means a lot of things. In, even in the English language, in any language really. Life can simply mean vitality. Life can simply mean this physical life, you just drop it and that's the end. But you see, the word that was used here in Greek was deeper it meant more than just the life. It did mean life, yes. But it went deeper to also mean more than that. It meant a person's soul. It meant the person's, all of a person. Because we find a similar usage of this in the book of Luke um, chapter 2. And it was a song. It was when um, Mary was singing to God after she heard that she was pregnant with Jesus. The Bible tells us, it says that my soul doth magnify the Lord. And in that place where soul was used, it was the same word, the same application that was used here of life, that was used for soul. Essentially, the essence of someone's being. So when it is used there, what does this tell us? It tells us that more than simply giving our lives, we have to give our essence for the brethren and what that means is, what are the things that make us us? Our time, our resources, the things that we love. All of these things make us up. Our thoughts, our, our prayers, our emotions, we give towards the brethren. Because we want them also to live. And that's what we're being called to do. To be able to lay aside our own thoughts and selfishness and everything, to prefer our brothers to us. And that's how we manifest this love. And I'll continue with verse 17. It says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Amen. And he continues, he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he used two words there. He said, let us love in deed and in truth. So what do you think it means to love in deed? Mike, Mike, Mike. It means to love with actions. Don't just say you love. Mm. Show it. Do okay. it. Okay, so following from that, what does it then mean to love in truth? Okay, are there any other answer, please? Pass. Um, to ensure that the action of love that you are exuding and the heart behind that is in line with God's word, mm. not just a fraction of your emotions, but like actual alignment with God's word as how he says we should. Thank you very much. That's a very good answer in that we're not simply 
to love in our mouths and in our tongue, but we are supposed to love in our deeds with our actions, and we are to love in truth, which means the mindset behind those actions. Earlier, we already talked about how certain actions would be hollow if there was no love backing it up, if there was nothing backing it up. So our love must be in line with the love of God. It must be in line with the love of God. So we will find that we can't love without giving. Because that's what he points out here to us. Even when we hear about Jesus Christ, what does it say? It says gave his life for us. Giving is at the core of love. We must give. It's not only resources. And yes, we do need to give resources. It's part of it. It's part of loving. And some people don't like to hear that. that I have to give. Why do I have to give? Can't I just love from afar? No. I don't love from afar. It doesn't work. We have to be able to give to ourselves, to individuals. And yes, sometimes that will be our resources. But it's not always our resources. Because there's another extreme. There are some people who solve every problem with money. So, I mean, if we, if we take an example from the secular world, it's something that we probably have either heard on a common basis or whatever. You know, a girl will call her husband or boyfriend or something and be like, ah, I'm feeling lonely. And the guy will say, ah, yeah, okay, I've sent you 100,000 in your accounts. And, I mean, a lot of people would be like, ah, yes, that's what I want all the time. But the truth of the matter is it will get to a point where you'll be like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, more money, okay, okay, so what? So, on the other hand, we can't also simply just use resources and goods. So, so you see your brother frowning, you're like, ah, brother, you're frowning. Ah, okay, here, have a mango. Hmm. It might also mean that we need to actually sit and listen. In that moment in time, what that person might really need is a listening ear. So, to continue we would need to then differentiate between the love of God and the love of the world. Because there is a worldly kind of love. Because hmm? we are talking about love, but as I said at the beginning, love is something that we hear all the time. We hear it everywhere. Meaning that there is an understanding of love around the world, and there is a different understanding for us, Right? Right? Okay. So, let's look at the book of um, First John, once again, chapter 2. First John has all the good stuff. From verse 15 to verse 17. It's First. like Sister Kathy wants to read. It's like Sister Kathy wants to read. You don't want to read. Wow. Okay. First John. Yes. First John 2, 15 to 17. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Amen. Amen. 17. Yes, please. It says, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we see here. Verse 15 says something very interesting. It says that if, if, if someone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. I find it very interesting that he uses the term the love of the Father, which kind of, we paint a picture 
that there is a love of the Father and there's a love of something else. There's another, there's an alternate love out there. And who can guess how the world loves? Can anyone tell us how the world loves? <laughs> we could say that. But you see, interestingly, we find it there in the passage of Scripture. The world loves in three ways. It loves lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how the world loves. Okay. So, I see some questioning glances. Like, okay, that, that sounds obviously, you know, so bad that how can that then be defined as love? So, let's look at it one after the other. The first thing it tells us, it says that the lust of the flesh. So, when it talks about the lust of the flesh, it tells us, um, generally speaking, we find that that usually has to do with the feeding of the body for pleasure, right? So, let's think of a very relatable trend. Now, there are a lot of individuals in the world right now that are eating way more than they should. And when it is pointed out to them, that they are eating a bit way more than they should, what do you think is the answer that those people receive? So, there is a body positivity movement right now. And it stems on this because their understanding of love is an acceptance of whatever it is that they decide to do with themselves even if it is unhealthy. And that is termed love. Is it not? So am I speaking wrongly? Is it not termed love? When they say, I love my body the way it is. I don't, oh, I love my body. And which is not to say we should hate our bodies. Obviously not. But we should also be able to understand when there is something wrong. So when we look at the idea that there is something actually wrong with ourselves, or with something around us and we accept ourselves and we say that, oh, I'm that way and I love myself that way and anyone who thinks differently doesn't love me, then that is a warped definition of love. We have something similar in the world today, um, especially with people not wanting to be how God created them. That also is a function of what we're talking about here the lust of the flesh, wanting to feel good about themselves. So, I do not like this particular gender I am. I shall identify as a frog. I do not like this gender I am. I'm going to identify as this, as that. But what is the aim behind that? The entire aim, the entire drive behind that is feeling good. And for all intents and purposes, that is their definition of love. If you love me, you take me as I am. If you love me, you accept the fact that I have decided to call myself this or that or that or this. And that's a definition of love for the world. And it's one that we cannot adopt. We understand so far, right? Right? Awesome. So, we have the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Again, Masquerading as love. 
when we talk about lust of the eyes, what are we talking about? A lot of times, it's just plain old lust as we know it. Lustful desires, lustful thinking, lustful thoughts. And I do not think I'll be wrong in saying that that is, for a lot of people, the definition of love. Hmm? I mean, if you are, if you are one of these interesting apps and you um, swipe right, is it? So if you swipe right on an individual, you know, from there, you kind of start building a relationship of, oh, we love one another. And for a lot of people, the love is always based first. I mean, that's why we have the term love at first sight, right? Why do we have the term love at first sight? We have the term love at first sight because you look at the person, the person is pleasant to look at. And in that moment, you assume that you are in love. And then, yeah, and then you talk, and then when you're talking to people and everything, okay, so how do you know you're in love? Ah, my heart beats faster, my mouth is salivating, everything, like my palms are sweaty, uh, my knees are weak, my arms are heavy, things like that. You go on with stuff like that. And you, you talk to people, and you'll be like, and, and those ones will be like, ah, wow, oh, yeah, you're really in love, you're really in love, ah, well, yeah, do something about it. And when it comes to doing something about it, if Hollywood is anything to go by anyways, usually what, what that means is, ah, okay, I love you. Oh, I love you too. Okay. And that's the end. And that, we cannot define that as love. Because it isn't. But that's a definition of love that we have in our world today. And it's one that we cannot deny. Can we deny it? We can't. Because that's what we find. And let's look at the third one. The third one says pride of life, right? So how does this manifest in the world too, as is defined as love? Celebrate your wins. It's a normal thing, I mean, um, because he has probably seen it. Celebrate your wins. Now, this is not me saying that we should not be grateful to God if there is an achievement or something we've done in our lives. Sure. But, there is an amazing focus on people bigging up themselves over things that they have said that they have achieved. I have done this. Oh, I am 22 and I just bought my first house. And then you put all the pictures on Instagram or on Twitter. You dangle the keys in front of everyone. And then you go in and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is a definition of love for these people. Because they want admiration from the world. They want all of those things from the world. If someone hits, uh, if someone hits a billion views on YouTube, person will do a video, and person will say, ah, reach a, reach a billion views. I've always found those videos incredibly disingenuous because the person sits down there and talks about, I couldn't have done it without you guys. I love you guys so much. And it's not as if the person is not telling the truth, but half the time he never feels sincere. And then in the comments, everybody will be like, oh my God, I love your work, I love you, you're the best, you're this, you're that, you're that, you're that. And these people lap it up and they take it and that's their love. The pride of life. Feeling better than everyone else. We find it also in the areas of, you know, striving for human things. Um, social justice. Social justice, some of this other movements that we find around the world today, they're centered around the understanding of 
oh, I've educated myself, so I understand the nuances around these things, and you too should educate yourself. And they'll lord it over people and say, well, because I believe in this, 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 I'm a better person than you, and I'm a more loving and tolerant person. That, too, is a description of love. But we know that this is not true. And it's not one that we can accept. But it is one that is prevalent in the world today. And it is one that has infiltrated the church. Because even in the body of Christ, there are a lot of people who cannot differentiate between the love of God and the love of the world. Between the agape love that God requires that we show to one another and the love that the world values, the affirmation, the, the words of encouragement, the accept me as I am, even, you know, even if I'm doing the worst things, just accept me, you can't speak against me, don't say anything against me. That's not love. That's not love at all. So, if we're able to differentiate between these two things, or between these two kinds of love, and we know that we have the love of God and we have the love of the world, and we know one that we should stand in, we must understand this. If the Bible tells us that God is love, what it means, and I think I've mentioned this before, what that means is that any definition of love outside the construct or outside God is wrong. It must be rooted in God. And it's God that gives, or it's God that makes it possible for us to have that agape love towards one another. So, if we continue to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll see a list of the things that they say love is. And uh, I'll turn to that, and I'll read it, what it says, that how it says, how it's expressed in the life of the believer the Bible tells us, it says, Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunted not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Amen. So we see the things that love does do in the life of a believer. And those are the things that we as believers must imbibe. We must have in us. And we must, you might think to yourself, that, okay, then how do, I, how do I do this? Because it sounds like a really high bar. And it is. But glory be to God. God is a merciful God. And if we see, if we look at the book of Romans chapter 5, let's turn there. So I'm going to read from verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Amen. It tells us there that the hope, we are not ashamed. And that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Meaning that the love of God is in our hearts. How? It says by the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So we don't have to fight for it. We don't have to struggle for it. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into us, gives us the ability and the capacity to love God and love one another. To love God and love one another. So finally, I'll just briefly talk about how, and we've talked about this, but a few practical ways, or will I say, that we can show our love to the believers. We've talked about some of them. What are, what are the ways we show love to the believers? Okay. Giving, yeah, Okay, yes, those are all those are always those are always and there is a very, 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 very important one. Uh and for that I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, verse eighteen. Verse eighteen. Can someone read for us? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Yes. And says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. You see what that, um, what that passage of Scripture tells us? It tells us to pray for all the saints, meaning for our brothers and sisters, we are to pray. It is an expression of love. Along with the giving, along with everything, it is an expression of love. But then, we have one more responsibility. And that is to the unbelievers, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that uh, we are to love our enemies. So how then are we supposed to express love to them? How do we express love to them? Can, can someone, can someone, I said sharing the gospel to them. Okay, sharing the gospel. Okay, thank you very much. Anyone else? Yeah? yeah. Timmy Tokwa wants to speak. By praying for them. Thank you. Thank you very much. Does anyone else want to give us? Oh, Jibala. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Evangelizing to them. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. These are all true. These are all good. Yes. The Bible specifically tells us that we are to, it says that we should love our enemies. And what does it say after that? Who can say? Eh? Pray for those who persecute you, right? So we are told specifically to pray for unbelievers. And you would see in Scripture that they are very specific about praying for unbelievers and giving to believers. Do you see that distinction? That there is, we are not, not only to pray for believers, but we are to give to them also. But we are told to pray for unbelievers. Why do you think there's this distinction? Can anyone answer that? What, why do you think 
that distinction. Hmm. Why are we told to pray for the unbeliever, essentially? Because when you just... You mean like... So we pray and we give to believers, right? Yes. But for unbelievers, we just pray for them. We don't give. I would speak on that immediately after this. But answer why there's a distinction between... And so the distinction... I think Pastor Billy spoke about something in that... Yes. Last week or two weeks ago. Yes. Where um, he spoke about Paul saying... Um, he spoke about Paul saying that um, it was an act of, it was an instruction, you know, to give to believers, to prioritize giving to believers because that was a way of showing um, love, you know, amongst the brotherhood, amongst the, the um, circle of believers. Let me use that term. Um, but he, the priority for unbelievers, first of all, is to is to pray for them. You know, that's most important. In my opinion, I think that giving to unbelievers, even though it's, it's something that we can do, the reason why it's not important is because maybe there's a sense of entitlement that comes from receiving as an unbeliever, you know. Um, but in terms of, you spoke about what backs up the actions that we do, which is love. I don't think an unbeliever can see that love that is behind the action of giving that we give, you know, when we give to them, rather. Because, but as, as Christians, you know, when you come to me and you say, oh, I need this, and, 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 you, and, the person, and you do something for that person as a, as a Christian, the person can see that you're doing it in love and not just because of, um, of lustful desires, or, uh, as we could see um, from the worldly perspective of love. So I, just to add to what he said, I think and a reason why we have to pray for unbelievers is because giving to them just deals with the affairs of their body and their souls. But when you're praying for them, you're really tackling the issues of their spirit. And yeah, that's just basically it. The spirit comes first before any other thing. Thank you very much, Sister Adara. So, Rabiela spoke well, and Sister Adara buttressed the point also very well. One of the main reasons instructed to pray for unbelievers is because that's what gets them into the body. Praying for them, evangelizing to them, sharing the word of God, because what is most important is their spirits. Is them making heaven. If you simply give to them, they're just helping their bodily needs, and which does not say we shouldn't. And it is not in any way a doctrine or a teaching that we are not to give to unbelievers. Of course we are. Why not? But we must understand that the priority is always to pray for them and to evangelize to them, to bring the word of God to them. Because that's what then brings them into the kingdom. And we have to give to believers because they have received that spirit. So they need, they need the things of this world. They need to be able to get by. Why? Because the unbelievers would not give to them. Unless they just, you know, feel like it, generally speaking. How many unbelievers would favor Christian causes or any of those other things? Not as much. So essentially, we are to 
share the wealth or spread the wealth amongst ourselves. And that is, that is a description of how we are to love one another, how we are to love the body of Christ, how we are to love believers there. Uh, does anyone have any question before we close? Does anyone have a question on the matter? Okay. Okay. No problem. So, I hope we've learned something new today. Love is a topic that we can't exhaust. Everything that I've said here, yes, I might have said a lot, but it doesn't exhaust what love is, what love is. And it's not something we would ever get to the end of. I believe, I, I am convinced, I'm convicted of the fact that we are going to spend eternity discovering the depths of God's love. That's my belief. That's my personal conviction. Rabiela, you want to add something? Yes, okay. my question has come. Okay. Um, sorry, so um, I wanted to ask about love languages. Okay. And do they fall under um, love, the, the love of the world, the way the love, world loves, or can they also be considered as something that... Um, can be practiced or should be practiced in the Christian fold. Okay. Thank you very much for that question. And for that, how I'll answer it is we must understand there must be a balance to these things. Now, is there anything wrong with love languages? No. Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with them. However, when it becomes a problem is when we insist on our own way. Because it tells us, it says that love does not insist on its own way. We're not looking at, I must have it like this. So it deals with the same thing with love. Yes, I might appreciate certain acts more than others. But if I insist that those are the only ones that you can do or you can give to me that I will appreciate ever, then I have a problem. And on the other side of things, the person who is giving should also make an effort to be sensitive to what people are able to appreciate more and put in work to ensure that they're able to also work it out in that way. So on its own, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just the, the selfishness that it could lead to that becomes a problem. Do you understand? Okay, awesome. So, okay, Pastor Billy will start. So. <laughs> He's like, I have a talk face. <laughs> yes. To work on that, it's just it's just basic. Um, love languages exists in the realm of psychology. That's it. Psychology isn't wrong, like Pastor Femi has said. But psychology can be corrupted by flesh. Everything, the only things that can't be corrupted are the things of God. Everything that exists in the realm of psychology can help believers to live a more balanced life in a sense because in the end we are still in this body right we still have our minds we still have our emotions we still have all of that so they can help but one of the major problems with psychological studies is that like pastor femi has said we tend to use them as excuses people don't want to grow people just want to know where they fit in whereas the people that actually discover these things 
even if you read the books on these things, whether it's love languages or temperaments or personality types, all these things that exist under in quotes the realm of psychology. The people that write books on these things will tell you that th- these are not hard and fast rules to just define yourself. These are areas that human beings can work on. You get so but the problem is that most people they just use it to say this is what I am and there's nothing that can change it and that's against agape love because agape love is 100% sacrificial so I remember when I was in school there was a when these temperaments sanguines flags melancholics cholerics when this study was rampant in uni none of us went through that phase you think is this you is this youth <laughs> anyway uh, yeah. they are good studies though they are not bad you get they they help you to understand an aspect of human psychology and behavior but back then what used to happen was people would just say i am fleg male that's it that's what i am i am choleric that's it that's what i am and if they do if they exhibit bad behavior rather than actually thinking of correcting themselves to say you don't understand i'm I'm a choleric (laughs) (laughs) that's that's why that's how we are we're just Uh i don't let's not even get into astrology is, is, is is astrology has even spiritual demonic connotations that one is even different from psychology it's there's psychology in it but it's deeper than that that's it as a topic for another day <laughs> but these ones that are even supposed to be but is is a valid example because that's what people say i mean this i mean that they, they th- just look at the month they were born and the year and they chart the stars and say okay this is who i am and it's even a thing of pride for people on bad behavior, those the on bad behavior. We say we are unstable. That's how we are. <laughs> we have double personalities. That's how we are. Those are Gemini's, by the way. <laughs> you get so um, these things are wrong. They are. They are very wrong, and they should not be things that Christians should imbibe. And it's the same with love languages. There's nothing wrong with love languages, it, but it's not for you to say that's that's it nothing can change it's just psychology it's not spiritual thank you